Hello, and welcome to Pod Sequentialism. I'm your host, Matt Kennedy. Pod Sequentialism is, of course, an outgrowth of the Pop Sequentialism traveling exhibition of comic book art and the catalog that immortalized that first show, uh, available from La Luz de Jesus Press and Last Gas Books, also available directly from me. And if you buy it from me, I'll sign it for you if you want that type of thing. Um, you can get that at popsequentialism.com. And also, we record at Meltdown Comics and Collectibles. Uh, my producer, Mason Booker, is here and um, basically runs most of the podcasts on the network. And we are also a partnership with uh, La Luz de Jesus Gallery and Wacko Soap Plant Superstore. The Wacko, Super, the Wacko Soap Plant Superstore is actually probably your best place to do your holiday shopping. And uh, by the time this runs, you'll be really getting close to the deadline for shopping. So um, we definitely want to uh, shout that out as a, a good last-minute possibility a place where you can get uh, pretty much everything for everybody in your buying list, including those people that are very difficult to buy for. Uh, so anything from um, you know inexpensive, affordable tchotchkes to uh, actual fine art, you can get everything in between. We also want to talk about uh, my gallery, my uh, gallery that I run with my wife, Gallery 30 South, and that's gallery30south.com uh, and on all the socials, at gallery30south. And we'll, um, as you listen to this, we've got up the the amazing Ricardo Mayer exhibition, which is sort of a Star Wars mashup show with actual Rococo era paintings. And it's it's called uh, Religious Paintings of the Expanded Universe. It's going to be a two-month show, so it's up right now in December and will continue to be up in January to give everybody a chance to see it, as it is very impressive and um, likely to be controversial in that it uh, involves... Um, to a degree, painting on top of, well, not to a degree, actually, painting on top of archival uh, pieces, some of them from the Guido Reni School, um, some by some rather well-known artists. Um, there's also lithographs that are uh, watercolored upon. The thing is that these images really enrich the original pieces, which were damaged, were not in uh, perfect mint condition. And so it was a perfect way for an artist to take a conceptual idea into new territory and when you see these things, I think you'll really, really dig them. The uh, last and not least uh, little catch-up here in uh, talking about the the podcast and uh, and where our origins come from is that uh, we also want to give a big shout-out to the Panic Collective, who will be, um, I believe, involved in some of the, the art shows in January in Los Angeles. So that aside, I wanted to take this as sort of a, a quick update show. Um, we were off the air for a long time. We've got a few more shows back in the canon. And there's been a lot of things happening that we haven't really totally addressed as yet. And I think that by the time this airs, there will be a bigger sense about what the future of the DC Cinematic Universe is going to be like since the Justice League movie opened with the lowest numbers of any film in the uh, DC Cinematic Universe. And that is uh, bad news. The, um, if you read the, the threads online and you're, and you're listening to fan feedback, uh, one of the, the major problems that has been mentioned is that Wonder Woman, which was such a monumentally successful film and really clicked with fans, um, and you know all genders, all uh, economic uh, you know, check boxes, um, Pretty much everybody seemed to like Wonder Woman. You had a very, uh, well, attractive, but a very charismatic star who, and whoever did her hair and makeup needs to make a lot more money because it was flawless in every frame. But 
you know, it was a film of substance. And I think that while the villain wasn't necessarily the greatest um, comic book villain, it would, it felt a little bit more like a a drawback into the mythology that um, the film itself was compelling. The our relationship between the characters was was compelling and believable. And it took its time to tell a very important story in, in the formation of, of a new character in a new universe. Whereas Justice League felt incredibly rushed. It's a, a, a two-hour film, which some people might have, you know, given a sigh of relief considering that most superhero films these days are clocking in at two and a half hours, two hours and 45 minutes. So you're getting more, and which actually makes the failure box office, well not failure, but the box office disappointment of Justice League even more befuddling because at a two hour runtime, you're getting in an extra screening per day at least um, across the board, which would allow for bigger numbers and those numbers were not achieved. Uh, some people are blaming Rotten Tomatoes that the um, the aggregate site had seemingly withheld reviews because they're running a new sort of um, like web program where you know a TV show where it's a review show that takes the the aggregate averages of uh, of films that are coming out and does a little review show and they've been saving those until the weeks that the films come out and so by withholding the score. Um, even though the reviews had already been out for a week and a half, it made it seem to a lot of people in in the public that um, there hadn't been screenings or that the it, it, the the reviews were withheld because the film wasn't good. The film isn't bad. The film is is got a lot of things going for it, but I do believe that it really rushes through the origins of the characters that we don't know much about. It their origins are basically little montages that um, play out in a couple of minutes. And those are usually used in films that are sort of encapsulating a film you've already seen. So you you get a little short origin at the beginning of a movie um, just to catch you up in case you hadn't seen the previous film. In this case, there has been no previous film that has addressed the origins of these characters. And so rushing through it, I think, is a disservice to the narrative. And in giving the public a stake in caring about the characters. Now, at least with The Flash, you've got an actor who is you know, kind of quirky and sort of likable, and he's the comic relief, so it's a little bit easier to um, to maybe care about him. You get a little bit more of his origin story, perhaps, than you do even of Cyborg, and certainly more so than uh, Aquaman. But you also have a TV show on the CW about The Flash, so people feel like they know the character, perhaps. Um, with Cyborg, you get very little information about him. You know, the, a lot of people were sort of surprised that Cyborg was a character that was going to be included in a Justice League film since he's not really, you know, for years was more associated with the Teen Titans and the Titans. But, uh, of course, when you realize that he's basically Iron Man, it makes sense that DC would want to have an Iron Man-type character in their universe and um, gave him kind of the quick upgrade into uh, into the big leagues, so to speak. Um, one other complaint that I've heard people talk about with uh, Justice League is, of course, that I think we were all expecting Darkseid to be the villain in the Justice League film. And it's not. It's, you know, a it's his uncle. It's Steppenwolf. It's a kind of, for many people, a, a tangential character. And he does not really bear much resemblance to his appearance in the comic books, although I didn't mind that. I thought that it was a cool-looking character. But again... Just like with the sort of minion villains that were in Suicide Squad, 
the these creatures, these necro beast type creatures, that um, are the operative so- foot soldiers for Steppenwolf's invasion of Earth, are ostensibly human beings that have been turned into creatures. And so when the heroes are willy-nilly killing people left and right, it doesn't give you a sense of the human carnage uh, involved in the invasion. And they sort of play this uh, this trick, which was also done to much greater effect in the second Avengers film, of following a, a local family in this uh, sort of um, Russian part of the world where the invasion takes place and you're supposed to care about this family inside this this house as they make their escape and it's i don't think it's enough i don't think it's enough to really give you a sense of the humanity and you know just like in in suicide squad they they all become a kind of nameless faceless horde and it's really hard in a post world war z um cinematic landscape to do that well you know, that it's, it's been done, it's been done fairly decently, and now it seems like a retread. Um, and even years before World War Z, when um, in the Hellboy film, you had these kind of um, nebulously Cthulhu-esque type creatures in the first film, and I didn't feel like those were even really strong enough for a villain in a film that was otherwise basically pitch perfect. And you've seen that type of monster in a lot of films, and there hasn't been enough push forward in the, in the creature design for it to be iconic, like, say, a Predator, which, of course, is a more humanoid creature, or like Giger's Alien, which was also very much still a humanoid creature. And um, until they start really dedicating a lot of thought to character design in these in this era of existing intellectual properties of superheroes, uh, it's it's not going to be as exciting. And I think there's an, an, a heavy reliance upon the strength of good villains in comics. And, of course, Darkseid is a great villain. It would be very interesting to see how they present uh, him, how, how he's you know compared in scale and size and power to what we've already seen. And um, in case people haven't seen it, there's, there's a, um, a hero that is perhaps unexpected that's in the film even though he's this character has been included in a lot of the um advertisements for the film actually i think i can talk about this right mason i mean at this point superman's in the movie oh yeah yeah i mean it's everybody knows this okay and he is a badass i mean this this superman is is superman i mean it's he's incredibly ridiculously strong as he should be and um so that i think is maybe perhaps a good setup for what's to come next. And um, I'll, I'll tune in, you know, um, there's been this weird petition online for people to go and see Justice League six times or something. It's this weird thing where, um, you know, because the, the idea being, and I, I understand the idea, is that, you know, if you want there to, to continue to be these films, that they have to have a certain amount of success. So as a fan, if you want to see more, you have to support by, by keeping the box office pretty steady and not having a lot of drop-off. But, I mean, at the end of the day, if a studio is responsible for the product they put out there, and if it's not clicking with people for whatever reason, um, I think it's a little bit ridiculous to expect um, a small portion of the cinematic going public, which would be those comic book fans that are interested in seeing another Justice League movie, to have to pony up uh, six times what a movie ticket costs um, instead of a film producing entity kind of wising up reassessing and maybe rethinking their strategy moving forward 
So um, I guess the next movie is going to be Aquaman. And uh, then they'll be working on, we believe, the next Wonder Woman film. And then perhaps if that Batman solo film ever gets off the ground and if they can figure out what's going to happen with that, if they're going to be recasting Ben Affleck and all that jazz, um, then um, that would be somewhere uh, between those two films or after. And then there would be the Justice League sequel film. Uh, there's no uh, talk about there being a Flash standalone or a, or a Cyborg standalone at this moment in time. Uh, although I'm sure, based on what we've seen in this film, they allude to other characters in, in the DC Universe, not the least of which are the Green Lantern Corps, that um, there's probably going to be a Hal Jordan character showing up in one of these these next uh, few films. So um, if we're going to compare, and I, you know, I think that there's inevitably we do this as fans, um, not that there has to be a DC versus Marvel discussion, and I'm certainly somebody who has read uh, lots of books by both. Um, Brian Michael Bendis has um, just gone over to DC. He's left Marvel. And so I've seen a big spike in interest in original comic book art for... Um, you know his ultimate Spider-Man runs. Many, many of the the pivotal series that he worked on, Daredevil, that the really great pages are getting extremely hard to find. Um, as I find new pages, and as I find pages that I think fit my criteria of being truly iconic, I do add them to the Pop Sequentialism site and make that artwork available for resale. I've also noticed there's been a huge uptick in interest in Akira original art cells. Um, I sold three in the last month. I still have a couple left that I have for resale, including some really key Kaneda and Tetsuo uh, cells. And what's interesting is that the two of the three cells that I sold this past month were not main characters. There was the the professor and there was the colonel. So, um, you know, that the fact that people are going deep on this has been a very interesting um cause for reflection and you have to kind of look in the market and say well how come people are becoming interested in these things and there's been a lot of talk about Nakira live action um, possibly a series actually and so as, as these things develop of course speculation leads investment but I mean with something like that whether or not you're buying because you speculate I think you get a really good product at the end of the day so you, your, your uh, decision is sort of rewarded regardless and uh, same could be said for just about every series that um, Brian Michael Bendis has written. He's always been paired with a great artist, and the pages are generally really high quality. So as he moves over to the DC Universe, I think the idea is that he will bring a certain amount of cachet and intelligence about uh, full universe storylines and plotting. And you know, I, I, people who regularly listen to this podcast know I'm, I'm fairly critical of um, company-wide continuity. I don't think it lends itself to the greatest um, standalone comic books, and I don't think that everybody's out there reading every comic, so I think it's just a marketing tool and um, perhaps not a good tool. But um, if you're going to do that, Brian Michael Bennis is the guy to do it for you, and certainly what we've seen in the Marvel Universe is most of what happened under his watch at Marvel. So between he and Mark Millar and um, and a handful of other incredibly talented people, not the least of which could be, you know, um, J. Michael Straczynski and, um, you know, Warren Ellis and... other writers on 
on Daredevil and then the stuff that's becoming Netflix series. But um, without belaboring the uh, the point too much, um, certainly there have been more Marvel TV shows. Uh, the Punisher series is up on Netflix. You can watch the whole the whole series. I enjoyed it. Um, it's funny that I'd heard all this talk about it being incredibly violent, and I didn't know what they were talking about until the last two episodes, which are incredibly violent and uh, really, really gnarly. Um, complete rewrite of the Punisher history, um, not the least of which because it doesn't make sense to have a Vietnam veteran as the Punisher in a contemporary America. He would be too old. Um, so it makes sense that he's you know, from um, Afghanistan and Iraq, and um, him being more of a a a misused um, sprocket in the machine, uh, in illegal torture, um, in military intelligence, and um, changed the origin for a very notable Punisher villain uh, completely. Um, instead of um, having him be someone who comes out of the mafia, it uh, someone who comes out of the military, which is a really nice play on that. So uh, looking forward to see uh, what they do with that character moving forward. I uh, was not a fan of the Defender series at all. I didn't even finish it, actually. I watched about three or four episodes, and I just tapped out. Just uh, couldn't couldn't go through with it, The um, which is a shame because it's got such a great collection of people. But I think that the Iron Fist is a real weak link, uh, not a good character in, in the, the Netflix shows, and... Um, by his usage in other other shows sort of uh, diminishes the use of those characters too. Um, you won't hear me talk a lot about the CW because I'm not really up on that stuff, but uh, certainly the the ratings remain solid. So we've got this, this uh, dichotomy here. We've got the extremely successful and extremely well-received Thor Ragnarok out at the same time as a not completely maligned but not incredibly supported Justice League. And DC did seem to learn that there was more box office and more praise to be had in making it a little bit lighter. And certainly there are a lot of um, anecdotes and jokes that actually land a couple of times if, if you end up seeing the film more than once. And it helps make us care a bit more about the characters. But I think that one thing that's always been the big difference between DC Comics and Marvel Comics is that the DC Comics were more serious, that they were a a more um, vigilant and gritty collection of heroes that did have godlike powers, and that the Marvel characters were more human-like. And so what's interesting is that Justice League has a great line that's spoken by Ben Affleck's Batman, where in talking about his role in a post-Superman world that he needs Superman back because Superman is more human than Batman is. And that's a really kind of rich uh, perspective and I think probably came from another uh, defecty, shall we say, from from Marvel in um, in um, the, the screenwriter that's been uh, brought into sort of punch up, if not completely rewrite, um, portions of the DC universe in Joss Whedon. So uh, as we see these two very important defections, Brian Michael Bendis and Joss Whedon, one in, in the comics, one in the cinematic world, we're trying to see if that comic universe can benefit from two people that we saw as very important architects in the success of Marvel, both uh, uh, comic and 
film universes. So um, really looking forward to get some feedback from people. Um, by all means, you can get onto our Facebook page, uh, Pod Sequentialism. That's Pod with a D, just like the show. And um, you can follow us on social media at PodSec. I am, I've gotten in the habit of posting quite a bit more on, um, on various social media. And I think I'm probably going to start a Pinterest page this week because, you know, I don't have enough to do. Just kidding. But, um, yeah, we will start a Pinterest page. And want to get some, um, some feedback from, from our listeners about what this means. You know, do, do you even care at this point um, if what, what's happening in the comics? Are you more focused on, on the films? Or is it the opposite? Are you really no longer focused on the films and see them as a completely different beast? And, um, you know, is it important to you that, that the comics and the films have a similar continuity? Or have you completely abandoned um, superhero comics at this point in favor of independent stuff? You know, one line that we talk about quite a bit here is the, the Young Animals line. And um, Young Animal line, not no S. And, and how it's really embracing different types of storytelling, um, really reviving these great characters, many of which... Uh, came out of the Vertigo universe, which was sort of the best written stuff in the early 90s. So um, what stuff's out there? You know, we were talking a little bit uh, in our show with um, with Tom Frank, um, I believe before the show, so not on air. Uh, his, his daughter was here and she was reading Saga. And I had mentioned that um, I understand its appeal, but it just wasn't something that ever really gripped me. And that seemed to be the attitude of most people that I knew, that a lot of people are just kind of like, they, they think it's okay, they don't think it's great, but people who love it, love it. And it seems very cinematic. It seems almost um, a perfect, you know, comic to turn into a, a TV series. And I'm sure when it hits, you know, a hundred issues or so, that that, that is a, a distinct possibility. I love The Walking Dead. We don't talk about The Walking Dead because I, I, I sort of, uh, I tapped out of Walking Dead uh, after they killed Glenn. And uh, I've, I've come in and watched a couple of episodes since, and I'm just really not interested anymore. It's too depressing. But um, again, you know, thanks for, uh, for tuning in. This has been sort of a quicker episode, and uh, we'll be back with a guest in the next episode. But um, in the meantime, you know, go ahead, you know, pick our brains. If you have questions about you know, some of the prior shows and about the sale of original comic book artwork or how to acquire it and um, speculating about the business, then by all means, reach out to us. Um, again, this has been Matt Kennedy. You've been listening to Pod Sequentialism. Hello, this is Matt Kennedy from Pod Sequentialism. And um, what many, many of you may know that I, I do run a gallery in Los Angeles called La Luz de Jesus Gallery. And what you may not know is that it's inside Wacko, which is probably the greatest center of pop culture in the world. And it may sound like hyperbole. It's not. Um, you can, If you don't want to trust my judgment, you can listen to people like Kevin Smith, uh, James Gunn, uh, David Mack, um, all of whom will swear that uh, one of their favorite places on earth is uh, Wacko, the shop that houses La Luz de Jesus Gallery. Um, whether it's blind box toys or little tchotchkes or art books, it pretty much is the place that you can get all of your Christmas shopping done for every possible annoying person to buy for that you can imagine. They've got everything, and I highly recommend that you visit them. You can visit them online at soapplant.com. You can visit the gallery at laluzdejesus.com, and that's spelled L-A-L-U-Z-D-E-J-E-S-U-S.com. Check them out and tell them Matt Kennedy sent you.